All right, welcome back. This is episode 40, big four zero of uh, Dear Baseball Gods. And I've got two guests today. I think this is my first time having two guests, uh, both repeat guests, and they're going to both sort of exponentially amplify each other. Uh, two former teammates of mine, Bill Murphy, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Out in, out in California. And then That's Daniel right. Herrera, D-Ray, out in Brooklyn. How are you doing? Doing very well. Doing very well. So if you didn't catch their episodes before, Murph uh, played in the major leagues, played a very long time in pro ball, left-handed pitcher, played in Japan for a couple of seasons, won a championship over there. So he shared some some great stories from that, how different that culture was. And then D-Ray, uh, I think is a great story because he doesn't, he never really fit the mold as a successful major league pitcher. You know, being shorter in stature, you know, not being one of those six foot four super physical guys, um, also threw a screwball, but had a really successful couple years in the majors and uh, also just a really cool, cool guy in general. So, guys, today is all about the stories. So I was just talking, we were just talking about our mutual acquaintance, uh, Zach Braddock, who's one of the most athletic people all of us know. So I wanted to start off by asking you both of you. So. Murph, why don't you start? Um, who is the most athletic person or what was the most athletic thing you've ever seen done on a baseball field? It's hard. I mean, you see a lot of at least four or five things a year, you know, where somebody does something incredible. But um, I, I would I would have to say just – I think there was a play up the hole. Um, I think it was Alberto Cayaspo. Was it was like kind of like a backhand thing, and he just kind of dove, and just the ball just ended up in his mitt, and he just no looked it to second base as Stephen Drew, and they turned the double play, and it was like, how'd you guys, how'd you guys even do it? You know, you you had to watch it like four or five times to even comprehend what was going on, and to see that was just it was just, it's unbelievable. I mean, guys to do it all all day long. And they just don't make highlight clips, you know, especially in the minor leagues. Some of these guys are are unbelievable. And, and it just amazes you how you can see these guys do incredible things and be that athletic and play every day, you know? Yeah, I was talking with one of my lessons kids the other day about the Final Four, and we were talking about, you know, I don't have any picks because I don't really watch basketball. But I was just, you know, if you do you guys know who my alma mater is, by the way? I uh, do not. <laughs> so no one ever knew of UMBC, which is where I went to college before this year. So I'd tell people it and I just like wouldn't even like waste my breath because no one's ever heard of it. But since they beat Virginia, they're the only 16 seed to ever beat a one seed in the NCAA basketball tournament. Like people actually know what UMBC is when I mention it. But so we were talking about the final four and uh, I can't remember the teams that are left, but I was just talking about how, you know, like one seeds, the guys are just so athletic compared to everyone else. Like they just get the most premium athletes anywhere that I feel like at just some point it's going to be hard for even like a really skill heavy team to just compete with that. I mean, do you kind of agree? Like you guys were at the top of the baseball world, you know, weren't guys just like heads and tails, like more athletic than everyone else? You definitely have, yeah, you definitely have those, those, handful of guys on the team that can you know rob rob home runs with ease and uh you know and that's what i was going to say earlier is what like 
it happens a few times a year. But when you see a home run robbed, and regardless if it's on your team or it's against you, um, it is unbelievable. You have to watch it over and over again to understand how you time your footing to to climb up the wall with your cleats and jump and like also catch the baseball. It's just a ridiculous thing. Yeah, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, that's the thing that absolutely amazes me. But all these all these athletes, um, the handful of them just have that raw ability that they can yeah, make it look easy, but um, you know, kind of kind of that smooth uh that smooth body fluid but you you know you can't imagine and can't believe how someone is able to do that so you guys both played you know so dear you played for a bunch at least one season with the mets a couple years with the reds right yes and so you got to watch all these guys and we're gonna talk about the bullpen for a while i'm sure but you know just watching guys in the bullpen um you know, what's the difference between a major leaguer and a minor leaguer? Uh, in general, I think it has to do with mental capacity. There's a lot of guys that have uh, the ability. They have the, the raw talent and, you know, the stature and the, the projectability. But, uh, you know, when someone breaks down mentally, uh, it's a tough thing to watch. And um, if they can't find a way to bounce back, you know, I think that's what separates you from uh, from the cream. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, mental is a huge part of it too. But, like, for the pitching part of it too, you have to be mentally strong. But the guys that stick around for a long, long time, they're just able to repeat the same thing over and over again. You know, you see with the guys that, that they have great talent, but they're not able to consistently – do the job, you know, and, and organizations and, and coaches, they want someone they can rely on. And if you're not able to repeat and do the same things over and over and over again, you know, it's really hard for them to give you a shot. If you, if you, if you're not able to do those sort of things. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so when both of you guys made your major league debut, you know, run me through the emotions and that whole thing. I know I've heard D-Ray's story, um, but I don't, I don't know that you got quite into just how profound it was and how nervous maybe you were to go out there, but was it business as usual for you guys when you made that debut? Well, for, for me, I was extremely nervous the entire time, the entire day, uh, you know, right up until I really stepped, uh, on the mound. Uh, I think as both of you know, I have the slowest run ever to the mound. Oh, um, you call that so a run? So, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I think uh, I was nervous the entire time, but as soon as I, you know, stepped on the mound, started warming up, that was my kind of my gate to to step into the game and, and out of my head. Yeah, it's that's exactly the way it is, and that's another part of people staying around a long time is that ability – to once you you know start your routine if you someone calls your name and that phone rings in the bullpen everything you're thinking about is gone i mean i don't know if people understand that but it's like 
you hear your name and boom, whatever you're thinking about is no longer there. It's go through your routine, get ready. You're in the game and everything is gone. You know, it's weird that, uh, what is for the love of the game when he talks about like his switch where everything just tones out that it's, it's reality. It really does happen where you don't hear anything. All you're doing is focusing on that glove. So there is no nerves when you tell that rubber. My, I mean, my nervous part was just having to call everyone and tell them that, uh, you know, I'm driving a, an hour to Phoenix to be in the big leagues, you know? So let's talk about the bullpen for a minute. <laughs> this is because I think this is all like all three of our probably like beloved happy place. Um, so what was, in what ways would you say the big league bullpen is different than the minor league bullpen? Or is it pretty much the same once you kind of acclimate and get used to everyone's, you know, bored kind of goofy side that you see, you know, when you're killing time in the pen? I think it always depends on the people in the bullpen. Uh, it's a little more structured in the big leagues. Um, when I was there with the Reds, I had Arthur Rhodes and David Weathers, and they were, you know, 39, 40 years old and held shop. So uh, I always just stuck under their, their arm everywhere they went. So I made sure to do the right things. Um, so, yeah, in that respect, it was definitely different. But the camaraderie and the, you know, the banter that you hear on a day-to-day basis and the change of subject matter, matter uh, that's always the same. Uh, the guys, um, there's always some good bullpens and bad bullpens, but regardless of uh, the age mix, you have a good group of guys, it's easy to be in the bullpen. Yeah, so the point is like, you know, in the minor leagues, there's a lot more stuff going on that you can get away with. And in the big leagues, you know, there's guys that have been there for 10 years and making a ton of money and you got to follow kind of what they're doing. Um, you know, but it, there's still a lot of fun that goes on in those things. It's just, you can't get away with it as much because there's way more eyes on you. That's including the crowd cameras and all that. So uh, you see it a little bit different now yeah. because guys are starting to, you know, post stuff on on twitter and all that and but when when i was there man nothing left those bullpens nothing and now you see a lot more that comes out and you you kind of get an idea of what goes on but there's definitely a lot more all right so who's gonna be the first tell me what what goes on the bullpen <laughs> go ahead d-ray <laughs> uh, well Early, early when I was in the minor leagues, we found ways to uh, get kids to give us quarters and, and money. We'd give them a game. We'd put a cup out in the bullpens, and they'd have to throw quarters into a cup. And uh, they never made it. And we told them we'd give them one baseball if they made it in the cup. So soon there was a, a large pile of quarters. An easy way to... Uh, to uh, skate some some quarters out of some kids but that was uh there was a lot yeah, more that goes on a little more after. yeah um i don't know i think <sighs> i i don't know the conversation for me was always where i tried to to stick in um because a lot of you put a lot of different characters in you know a small amount of space and <laughs> make them spend a lot of time together every single day, you know, there's bound to be a lot that happens. And 
um, I don't know, conversation. If I just think about people in the bullpen, uh, you know, in some of those teams, some of the most ridiculous people, and you just like throw a lob in, like uh, Josh Renicky, uh when I was in, in Louisville, he loved friends and would defend the show friends to his death. And I would just throw up blobs for people to just talk as much shit on friends as they could. And, you know, just just nice to stir the pot and watch people get fired up. It's weird because there's always that one guy in every bullpen that just gets tortured. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, they'll switch off, you know, inning to inning, but there's always at least one guy every single game all year long that gets tortured. I remember, like, 2012 in Vegas, you know, you don't have as many scouting reports and videos to watch on guys as you do in the big leagues. And uh, basically our studying was what we were going to do and plan for the next day at home because every game that year during the national anthem, we would have like a little skit that we would do afterwards. And that's all we would try to think about when we're playing cards in the clubhouse. And then when that was over, then it was just, all right, let's go back to playing, you know, a lot of games, like word games. And yeah. whoever it was to that year to make fun of, he wore it for about four or five <laughs> innings and kept everybody entertained. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean by skit? Mean, so after Anthem, here's an example of one. It was like whatever was popular at that time. So like it was the opening day weekend uh, for the NFL, right? So in the Anthem – was done. We all broke from the line and we were the offense and everybody lined up like linemen, quarterback, running back, wide receivers. Said yeah. hut, went out, someone ran a route, boom, it was the baseball. And then that's just how it was. I think it was, I think it was a goal line. And I think, I think it might've been Chad Beck that got the handoff and jumped into the end zone for a touchdown. We did a little dance and then boom, right back to the bullpen. You know, you get a round of applause from the audience. And in Vegas, dude, they're <laughs> nuts. So it was uh, just something like that every single game, dude. And people were just looking at us like, what's going on? <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the bullpen in uh, – I was in AAA with, with Nashville, the Brewers organization. They would right, – right before the anthem, every you know, take your hat off, put it over your uh, – your jersey, they would steal, take your hat and throw it as far as they could onto the field. And there, they, I guess they know this in Nashville, and they would boo the one that, that doesn't have a hat. So it's always the new one that would get there and have their hat thrown, and the very first day the home fans would boo them. <laughs> yeah, fun. I guess. So Michael Click was our, he was the guy <laughs> in 2014. Absolutely the guy. <laughs> we played together. <laughs> God, he got worn out. Log piled daily, dude. Okay, so so that year I was uh, I was a starter, right? So I would come down the bullpen, and somebody already has had to go, right? And I think it was Click at first, and then we got Slinger, then or was it Slinger? Yes. Yeah, he, then Singer. he came, Singer, and then he's the one that got the boot and wasn't allowed to come down the fifth. But I just remember coming mm-hmm. up in my career that. When I was a starter, dude, there was no way you were going to the bullpen as a young guy. And you just looked down there, and they were having fun. Well, 
I'm in the dugout having to listen to these stupid hitters or watch out for helmets being thrown, bats being broken. And all I want to do is be in that bullpen. So when I got the chance and I got older, man, I never, I never wanted to leave the thing. Yeah, that's a big etiquette thing uh, as a starter in minor leagues or, I mean, really, I guess the big leagues too. It doesn't really happen that starters do not go to the bullpen. And the only ones that do get to go are the older ones that have, you know, earned their stripes. Yeah, that was the only thing I enjoyed about the independent ball league is that you didn't have a job. You know, a starter in the minor leagues, you have a job every single every single day that you're not pitching you're in the stands charting you get the coach first base um you're in the dugout having to um also chart the game or in the next day you're videotaping man and it's just it's boring yeah when i first got to uh single in, in california they uh they had the starters uh, do the the gun in the stands yes. do the radar that's every still level. a job. Yeah, and some of the levels of independent ball, some of the lower ones, they still have you do the charts and stuff. I just think they're, for whatever reason, really lax about it in the Atlantic League. We just, no one really cared how hard we all threw. No one really cared what the chart looked like. I was like, ah, screw it. You know, they're all just swinging for the fences anyway, whatever. We just sort of figured it out. But yeah, I, I get mean, that. Did guys really coach first base in AAA? Pitchers did that? Yeah, of course. It seems surprising yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't you have a coach for that? Yeah, they do, but you know, you only have three coaches in the minor leagues. So you have your head coach, hitting coach, and pitching coach. So your pitching coach needs to worry about his pitcher in the bullpen. Your manager is coaching third base, and you need somebody in the dugout to control the situation, you know, with the hitters. So there's a, there's always a player um, that's coaching um, first base. Hmm. Hmm. All right, so if uh, if you were a kid and you're going to come up to one of you guys, what would their tactic be to get a ball from you? And I know I phrased that kind of weird, but you know how every kid comes out and screams and screams and screams, and we say no. But some of those kids, they get through. So what's what's your what what was the tactic, D-Ray, for a kid to get through to you and reach your heart where you'd give him a ball? I mean, the tactic would be, to be shy and don't say a word for about an inning. Just stand there, hang out in the bullpen, catch our eye. Don't say a word. All these other little kids are going to come yapping. You're going to be the cool, quiet one. When they all leave, then I give you the baseball. That's what I like. I don't like any words. <laughs> no no words at a high volume from a child. It's it's pretty simple. Look, in the minor leagues, you have limited balls, okay? If one's coming, it's just getting tossed in the stands, depending, you know? And nobody likes to be bugged. I mean, nobody wants to hear you beg, right? It's simple. Excuse me, Mr. Murphy. Do you think when you get a ball that I could have it? And sure, no problem, you know, and you do it. But you can't get caught giving away balls all the time because then they're just hounding you nonstop. So that's what becomes the problem. You know, it's you always give it to the polite kid, the quiet kid, the one that you kind of tell might be his first baseball game and you make it enjoyable. But you always see those repeat kids there at every ballpark all the time and they act like we don't know who they are, switching their hats, 
you know, wearing different jerseys. You know who they Big are. Mustache. Yeah. Never Bobby will. Valentine, just, you know, 12 years old. Yeah, I'll never forget this one little girl. I was at Southern Maryland, and it was like towards the end of the game, she's probably like 50 pounds. And she just walks over, and she's like real shy, and she goes, hey, I, I just want to tell you, I, I think you're great. And then she like scampers back up to her parents. I was like, what? <laughs> and I went and found a ball and I like yelled up to her until I got her attention and then gave it to her. But that is worth the baseball. Absolutely. She tricked you. That's all she did. Yeah. She was a pro. Season. <laughs> yeah, she, it was a ruse. It was a ruse. All right. So run me through your bullpen routine. So take everyone through the life of a bullpen pitcher. Inning one through inning nine. What are you doing and when? Mm-hmm. Um, it it really depends on uh, your role on the team, and you, you know everybody knows their role. It's pretty clear. Um, for me, it was when I was in the bullpen, I set up guy or a long guy because I would just throw. You know, I didn't I didn't care what it was, but I was always uh, pretty relaxed, always messing around. Um, but once the fifth inning came around, after you, you know you read the first four innings, depending how it goes come down there, get a little loose. And then I didn't really have a routine on the, on the mound. It was just, if I heard my name and my adrenaline just shot up out of control and I was just ready, you know, all I needed was probably about six to 10 pitches and then I was just ready to roll. But all the other stuff, how much coffee, how many animal crackers, how much red hot, oh. all, the, all the other things like people don't know. All right, so here we go. I'd go five Adderall. No, just one or two. Um, about 60 milligrams of that. Um, then I'd go probably about 80 to 100 milligrams of a leaf. And then I'd probably use a half a jar of Red Hot. I'd kill that stuff. It was so bad by the end of the year, my uh, shirts would actually stay greasy. And then um, – you know, that was pretty much it. it. Was just coffee was just a bore. I was bored, so I'd go drink some coffee. I'd stuff my face with some candy occasionally, and then maybe grab some candy from the kids in the stands. But that was my routine: it was Red Hot and Advil. Man, that was it. I had a slightly more sugar-filled routine. Uh, I. Inning one, get down to the bullpen. I usually have a cup of coffee uh, when I go down there, and I don't even really like coffee. It was just for to slug it and get the effect, I guess. Um, first few innings, gum. I ate whatever gum was in the bullpen at the time. Uh, after that, I would eat seeds. And then if I didn't play in the game, then I would always have a candy bar or some kind of snack at the end of the game. So I was always wanting to, I guess, eat something so I wouldn't chew my, my fingers off. <laughs> you should have just been hanging upside down the whole time trying to grow a couple inches, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did, you, did you think of that? Uh, no, well, Murphy informed me of that when we first played together, but it hadn't worked since. <laughs> he was too busy with his uh, his ginger beard. Hey, that thing is sexy. Yeah, if you well, don't know. That's... that's- because I know we're an audio debatable. Lane. Murph is a ginger, so in case you couldn't tell from his voice, well, he's one of the bald. rare ones that's stuck in the pro bald, baseball. But I got a great ginger beard. Uh, 
what the great things about that beard, Murph, is when you shave it off, everybody freaks out. Oh. You you Camden when we played, and people lost their minds. They didn't. Well, I think the Latin guys didn't even know who you were. Didn't know your name anymore. Yeah, I definitely look a lot different, dude. I scare myself when I look in the mirror, dude. It's it is not. It's not even a pretty thing, dude. It's it's kind of uh, scary to see it. I mean, it's just. I think I was telling Dan about it uh, when I shaved it in Japan. Man, they freaked out. They were not happy that I shaved <laughs> my beard. I mean, they'll grow one hair because they think it's good luck all year. And shaving my face was like just a huge, huge cardinal sin. I was like, hey, my bad for trying to clean it up. (laughs) I don't hold a lot of power. Yeah, I think I played with you for a whole year and you shaved it like the end of the year and you shaved your head too. So it was just like you came in like one of those, a guy they'd shoot out of a cannon from like the 1920s or something. Or (laughs) you could have just said for the audience, Butterbean. I look like (laughs) Butterbean. Yeah, something in between both of those is perfect. Yeah, we just genuinely didn't know who you were. Look, man, um, sometimes you wake up and, you know, you just can't stare at that hair anymore. And you, you go to trim it. Majority of the time when I shaved is because when I went to trim it, I took a little bit too off on one side to try to match it up. Um, and it just turned. You guys watch that new show with a stand-up comedian, like his life on HBO? Well, the guy's about to go and headline a show for the first time on national TV and he freaks out and says, I need to shave my beard. Don't I? And they're like, Oh, it looks good. Maybe. And he starts to do it. And he messes up next thing you know, he cuts it all off and he goes, what am I going to do now? My opening jokes about my beard. And he was just done. That was pretty much how I, how I reacted to my beard when I messed it up. Three questions, answer whichever one you want. What was your worst foreign league experience? What was your favorite ballpark you ever played in? Or what's the craziest thing you ever saw at the ballpark? You want us to go one question at a time, back and forth? Any any question, any question at any point, we can come back to them. They're all on the table. Well, I can go worst foreign experience well, first, right out the gate. Let's- <laughs> you raised got one too as well. Uh, well, Japan was my – well, no, Dominican was first. Then it went to Japan, and then Taiwan took over. Dominican was – that's all having to do with the bathroom situation, okay? My first freak out was – in Japan was with the fact that they don't have toilets, okay? And then I was like, well, this beats the Dominican because Dominican's <laughs> toilets, they just don't even work, right? And then trying to squat over a toilet in Japan was like, okay, I'm not doing that. But you can go to the next stall and they have a toilet. But then I got to Taiwan – they don't even clean the clubhouse, I don't think. And they don't have regular uh, toilets, and they don't flush their tissue, okay? Oh, so let me give you How an example. Work? You go in the bathroom <laughs> in Taiwan, okay? You better bring nose plugs, okay? And the first time you go in there, you don't realize is that you have to carry around – your own toilet paper. The problem is, is they don't have toilet paper. They use tissues like how my wife keeps in her purse to blow her nose all day long. You have to have those in your back pocket when you go into the thing. So I show up into the, in the clubhouse and I open the door, dude, and I almost vomited. There's a little dumpster with these little turds wiped in, in the basket. (laughs) And I go, no, 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 no. So I was, I just didn't do anything for like 
a week. And then it just turned out I had to try to figure out how I'm going to keep this 230 pound frame from not falling into a hole. And (laughs) I had to bring my own bags in there and I would just put the trash bags over the, uh, their little dumpster. And I would just put a little, (laughs) my wife would give me this stuff stress relief from (laughs) Bath and Body Works. I'd put it on my nose. (laughs) Like I was going to a quarters at coroner's office and I would just do that, dude. And I would just close my eyes and picture myself like sitting on a nice Toto debay toilet, dude. But I'm just squatting with my elbows against the wall, trying to hold myself up, trying not to take a dump in my in my baseball pants. <laughs> Did players have tissues in their back pockets while they played? Did the players have tissues in their back pockets during the game? Dude, I – I, they might have had them in their cleats, bro. I I don't know where how I mean, how does the team not supply that, bro? Even in the shower, dude, it was like these guys rolled around in the mud, and they didn't they forgot to add the drainage system in the shower. So these dudes were walking there barefoot, like they were in a sumo ring in Taiwan, and take a shower barefoot. I'm like, what are you what are you guys doing around here, dude? It's just one of those things where it's a place where they pay you good money, but it's definitely like no bueno, dude. Well, from being your old roommate, I know you're big on hygiene and you've showed me a couple ways to be more hygienic myself. So I know that that doesn't really fly in your, in your world, that, that That Taiwan experience. So what were these toilets? They're just a big hole in, in the ground. Like I'm confused. No, basically what it is, is it's porcelain now. I'm sure they've upgraded to porcelain, but it is literally, so you're on the ground, right? And it's it's like a, you have, okay, let's pretend like your pool, you have an indoor or outdoor pool, but there's above ground and below ground pool, right? Well, our toilets mm-hmm. in America are above, uh, above ground pools and the toilets there are below ground. So it's a porcelain looking urinal that's, in the ground sunken from feet level and it's i dude i don't it's like they took a baby bath that you put in your sink put it into the ground and then tiled around it and said here you go shit in this <laughs> dude if you have um, if you have the extreme <laughs> if you eat something bad dude you are blowing mud on your pants on your shoes that's what i mean they, they, i don't get it dude I, I, from experience, oh, that's that sounds oh, just too much. I don't, I don't think I had that. I played in Mexico, but I did definitely didn't have that experience at all. <laughs> that's a lot. You're lucky, bro, because I'm telling you, dude. I, now I know why they have, they give you 14 pairs of pants per game and 17 jerseys <laughs> per game, dude. <laughs> not dirt. Not dirt. Trust me. It's poop, and maybe somebody else. It's just mud, bro. Just straight bubble guts splattered down the inside of your pants seam. Dude, those aren't stripes, bro. Bottom half polka dot pants. That's a new thing. <laughs> Imagine there's, they put sponsor patches all over your pants. Imagine if you just blow mud and cover it up. They're like, hey, dude, look, just take your pants off when you go to the bathroom so you don't cover up our uh, advertisement, bro. Over the pants, too. <laughs> all right, so that was my uh, worst foreign experience. Right, craziest thing I saw at a park uh, was in Mexico. Um, playoff game 
against Culiacan. I was playing with Mexicali. Uh, and it was, I think, game three. So it was a big game, and they take those games very seriously. And they have bands on either sides, like the left field foul pole and the right field foul pole, like full, like mariachi bands almost. It's crazy. Um, their mascot was the best mascot in the league and did the craziest things in the league. Uh, I can't really explain what gestures he was going for the crowd because they were all sexual. They were all crazy, uh, either sexual or even drug-oriented gestures to the crowds, and everybody loved this guy. Chongo is his name. Well, the craziest thing he did in that particular playoff game was he crowd-surfed from the top of the stadium to the bottom <laughs> of the stadium. Oh my God. He was, he was successfully crowd surfing and people were like running over to him and like, like it, it was, he attracted such attention that people didn't give a shit about the game anymore and went and tried to carry him. And what happened was the railing, people weren't down at the bottom of the railing. They were just carrying him in the seats in the, uh, where everybody was populated, he ended up falling into the walkway and breaking his leg. <laughs> and they picked him up and made him crowd surf the rest of the, ra- the way. And he's imagine a, a, an ape outfit mascot like reaching for his leg in agony and pain and people are just like yelling and screaming and and like cheering him on it was it's amazing how mascots get hurt dude i mean these guys don't care i'll tell you what in the latin culture that's where harvey weinstein needs to move to because they love him there the way they the way they act you know what i'm saying yeah they have cheerleaders at all those uh all those Me- or Mexican league teams got cheerleaders. It's a different different culture, but that was that was the craziest uh, like in game thing I saw. Shoot, my craziest in game was in Dominican, dude. We were uh, same thing. They, when it's playoff time or near playoff time in in winter ball, these guys in their their towns, they, they come out and they come out and fold. We were playing our rivals, and we were one game up with two to play. So if we won this game, it was over. We're in the playoffs. So I'm pitching, and I'm throwing like a no-hitter into the fourth. We're up like 3 nothing. Of course. I'm flexing all of them. Right. And um, next thing you know, there's rocks being thrown everywhere, dude, from the outside of the fence at our players. And um, I'm not talking like stu- like little pebbles. I'm talking like they were tearing down their houses, like hitting them with sledgehammers and taking the bricks and firing them at our outfielders. So they pulled us off the field, dude. And um, next thing you know, they hear gun, and somebody had a gun. And next thing I know, we had like three guys in our dugout with guns underneath their uniform. I'm like, what the? What's going on, right? And then I'm like, so are we gonna go play again? They're like, no, 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 no. We gotta wait. We waited like an hour and 15 minutes for our police force to show up. And they came cocked and loaded, shotguns, handguns, all pointing the stands, dude, just right in front of our dugout. And they're like, okay, go ahead and go warm up now. And I'll go, what? 
And they're like, it's time to go. So I go out there and warm up and I get an armed escort that followed me down the bullpen. And for the next 15 minutes while I'm trying to get loose again, pointing shotguns out in the stands and I'm freaking out. Like this is no way this is real. And sure enough, how are you? Uh, my target, target, dude, I was more scared that one of these guys, these, by the way, these shotguns, they look like they, they found them like buried, like from three years ago and they just were rusted. And I'm just (laughs) like, just don't please. Someone don't throw anything. I do not want to get shot, you know, warm back up. And I think it was like the third or fourth pitch when the game started going. And um, someone threw a rock over the uh, left field fence. And like 13 armed guards just sprinted to left field, hopped the little gate. And and I'm like, dude, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, they're going to go kill that kid. You watch. And I'm like, there's no way, you know? And I was like, finish the fifth inning. And I go in the dugout. I was like, hey, I'm done, man. And they're like, yeah, it's probably a good, good point. Let's just go ahead and get the bullpen going, dude. But. That was definitely the scariest and craziest thing I've ever been a part of. That's intense. Do you, I, th- I think I remember you telling me you got stopped by police at one point in Mexico. That is my worst foreign experience story. Uh, <laughs> so my second, my second season playing with Mexicali uh, is 2014. Uh, I kind of knew my way around a little bit. And by that, I mean, from the hotel we stayed at to, uh, the stadium, I did not venture out. I think I went out to a bar one time in two years in Mexico. I just didn't want, I didn't want to have that. Um, so what happened was right after the game, oh, by the way, the team gives the gringos the, uh, the foreigners, the, the Americans, a car for the season. One car that they can all share from point A to point B. So I was held responsible of this gringo car uh, in 2014. <laughs> and driving. Well, naturally, you are the most Latin looking player, right? Uh, I don't really qualify as, well, in their eyes, as a Mexican and really as a gringo. So I was somewhere uh, in the middle. Um, on the way back, on the way back from the stadium, get pulled over by a cop car. Like, okay, I'll pull into this uh, empty shopping mart, uh, just kind of out in the open, uh, not too far from the street. The cops get us all out of the car immediately. Um, they end up planting weed on us and cuffing us all together so we're all there's four of us and me uh and three other guys one of them is um a native mexican guy so he was the one talking to the cops the whole time and the other two uh gringo americans uh we knew no no spanish at all and i i couldn't cooperate myself i was just speaking a terrible uh, a terrible dialect of Spanglish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, see. So we were in a hell of a predicament and we were uh, freaking out. Like, there's no way this can happen. We're, like trying to tell the guy, like, can you tell them we play on the on the baseball team? 
And he was like, yes, I've been telling them they're supposed to take care of the baseball players. And he, he kind of antagonized them a little bit, I think, by telling them uh, over and over again uh, that we were baseball players, but it didn't seem to work. And us cuffed outside of the car, they decided to search the car and planted more weed on us and kept telling us we were going to jail and they needed money from us and took all of our wallets, took all the money out of the wallets. It wasn't enough. They ended up making us drive to the closest ATM to get all of the money that we could, the max amount at the, at the uh, ATM machine. And then after all of that, they finally let us go. Um, but I think out of two cops got away with, like almost three grand from four players. And that's, as you both know, that's not even the meat of the story. <laughs> uh, to speed this whole agenda up, that happened in November, the beginning of November of that season. So it was like the first month. It was like the maybe like the third week of the season. This thing progressed and kept continuing. I had to go to the police station I think five or six times at least to go look at uh, pictures and to go give our statements. And it was a grueling thing. They would show up, like officers would show up after a game and make us look through like lookbooks and pictures. Uh, they ended up finding the cops and charging them with, a few things <laughs> and I ended up by the end it was I was in the playoffs about to be in the playoffs they sped this whole thing up so we could testify in court well the two gringos one of them got cut and one of them just left and it was just myself and the native Mexican to testify in court <laughs> and so yeah I open testified in court with the cops in the courtroom and their families and the whole the whole gig stuff's crazy man i mean let's be honest though don't deter from playing winter ball anybody because uh the teams do their best to protect you and your family it's just sometimes d-ray knows it happens a lot they'll come get you and when they do you better you better just be on your best behavior Absolutely. Uh, no, Mexico was some of the best baseball I think I've ever played in my career. Some of the most meaningful feeling games, uh, you know, that I've ever been a part of and, and played in. So, I mean, I wanted to go back, but it, I guess the feeling wasn't mutual. So that's the reason I didn't go back in 2015. Um, but yeah, sometimes you just hear crazy, crazy stories like that. And, uh, to the, the GM there, he said that's never happened to any uh, import that they've had. So it was just like a one-off thing. What were the odds at the time you'd have given of you being murdered? <laughs> that had been like on your mind the whole time. Like yeah, to the very Murphy end. Watching, Murphy would have been watching a Netflix documentary about it 100%, like 15 years later. 100%. I would have that thing saved in the queue. <laughs> terrifying <laughs> but I've heard the the ballparks there are really high tech is that right 
They can be. Uh, the new ballparks that they're building, at least in the Mexican League, are you know twenty to thirty thousand seated uh, stadiums. They're incredible. Um, but then you have other stadiums like Wasabe, and I think the center field was like three seventy five. And I, I mean, I'm a tiny little human, but I could have jumped over this fence no problem. Uh, it's it was like a little league park, and it felt that way when you were pitching, and that was a terrible feeling. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, winter ball or forms. yeah, like those those doubles. Is either you have a, a place? Mexico just started spending the money to build new stadiums, um, but you can go to a nice place, and you can go to an absolute dump, man. And it's, 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 you know, you should give a lot of credit to the guys that come from there to see what they've overcome and, and how they progressed with the game and, and were able to become great ball players. Dude, they definitely don't have the stuff and technology and the ability to find places to get better and they find a way to do it. But the support is there and their fans are there and the, the same feeling and all ballparks is there. So, yeah, regardless of, you know, the technology in the park, you know, those, those, all those stadiums are fun to play at. All right. So uh, most – I'm sure you have a lot of stories like these, and, you know, I have a couple myself, but most insane person you've ever played with or a thing that happened or just – I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of guys you play with that you just never forget their things they did or just in general their personalities, cool. a.k.a. Sean Gleason, you know. <laughs> Dude, I there's so many guys that uh, that are just it. Just the problem is the insanity is on different levels for every guy you can think of. You want insanity of like his uh, personality on the field, off the field, in the clubhouse, or just at all times. Yeah, you build whatever, like whatever sticks cartoon. out. You pick up these like cartoon characters in your bullpen, and. So for a few for me, like Mike McClendon, he was with the Brewers organization uh, for a long time. But he was such a character. His nickname was The Weasel. But I don't even know why. I think he was just such a goofy, goofy human. Um, I don't – I mean, nothing's really coming to mind of of a specific – time of this guy being an idiot but he was just an idiot at all times maybe that's 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 what it is uh jason isringhausen was another crazy character that i uh briefly played with a couple times with the reds in triple a and with the mets uh in the big leagues when he got his 300th save um but he was one of those like special characters uh you just kind of like gravitated towards and you just wanted to be around him and hear his stories and I don't know. Just bounce off of them, dude. It's so hard for me to like figure out a player that's like insane. I mean, I've dude. Look, there's one thing you learn like bullpen. They roll around and and they love to party. You know, we have guys that are on team blackout. You know, those guys always. <laughs> those guys are always the ones that are fun for me. And it's hard to tell stories from that kind of stuff. But I, I know there's a. You know, you always have your characters that are tough guys. Like we played with this guy named Debo. Loved him. But this guy, oh, he had so much talent. I mean, he threw a heavy sinker at like 93, 94. But he loved to party, you know? And, uh, I mean, I was, this guy would curse and want to fight our head coach, dude. 
in the Atlantic League. And that was like one of the most insane, intense, hilarious, embarrassing moments of my life is because when we're on bus rides, this guy would attack. I mean, everybody would be asleep and we're in the back, you know, throwing a couple down, you know, on the bus ride home. And this guy would just lay into our manager. And all I could do is laugh, dude. And it wasn't uh, like under my, you know, hand laugh. It was comical, like out loud where it woke up the whole bus. And I was just like, I can't believe this guy. He has no fear, dude. And he had zero repercussions. I think manager walked off the bus and act like nothing happened, dude. And this was like every day with this guy. And it was, it was fun to be around, embarrassing to be around, but dude, it was, he didn't hold anything back. dude. It was insane. Murph, Murph, this is how it would go. You and I would fill up a bucket of beers on that 13. bullpen. This was in, uh, am I in the bullpen? Yeah, in 13 with Long Island. On the bus ride back, we split a little, little 12 pack of beer, but <laughs> this guy would buy as much beer as he could and chug it as fast as he could on the way. And you, you add a good mix of characters. Uh, Pete Budkovitz, another guy that was in the back of the bus with us, just uh, another guy, Eric Threets us five and you know sprinkle in a few more that would um participate it would end up just being debo yelling and we would still be in new jersey and we'd have an hour and a half left to to drive and he's yelling at the manager (laughs) just drop me off at the airport i'm not throwing and we'd be like what are you doing (laughs) and we'd be dying laughing we can't hide our laughs and nothing from the manager from the front of the bus, and he just would yammer on, uh, uh, you know, for the next hour and a half. It was a special thing to witness. I was embarrassed, but I kept laughing. Dude, it was amazing. Like everybody knew when he hit that that part where he just did not care, and it was always. Some of us have a special ability to bring stuff out of people without them realizing that we're doing it. Ray's very good at it. I think I'm pretty decent at it. And it will start off as a little comment. And then D-Ray would feed off of me and say a little comment. And then next thing you know, we have Debo looks like he's going to put his head through the window of the bus. because He's buying this thing the whole time. And we're just like smacking each other. Here we go. Here we go. And it would just do it. It unleashed inappropriate it's like, and amazing. It'd be like playing the old, old keep away game with words. And Debo could never get catch up, and we would just <laughs> dogpile him until he's red. And he was also a ginger, so until he was as red as his as his hair, we did not stop, and we killed him. Oh, but yeah. he was a great, he was a great guy, and like he said, he had a ton of ability. Big big man through ninety four with a lot of sync, um, but he liked to party. Um, who else? What other characters do we have? I remember, I remember uh, Bob Wickman. He was he was a fun character. He he was closing for Atlanta, and then something happened, and nobody really knew what happened. He got released, and uh, he came over to uh, Arizona, and he was just there to donate the his remaining salary that he got from us to uh, charity. You know. And he he was fun to be around. He pitched a few times for us in, in 2007, but 
I remember when we first got on my first plane ride, dude, he scared the crap out of me. He started like going like a panic attack and I'm like, what's, what's going on? Right. And I'm just listening and stuff. And he starts screaming and, and screaming. I'm like, Oh my God, what's going on? And he, the plane's taken off and he just like full out panic attack. And he calls the um, flight attendant over and he started going into description of how the plane was going to go down. And I was like, what are you talking about? Dude, this guy, he killed me, dude. And I was like panicking, panicking. And this went on for like 15 minutes. And then he goes, oh, no, I'm just kidding. I was just rehearsing just in ever I become an actor. I want to make sure I got it down. And I was like, dude, don't do that. I thought the flight attendant was going to go in tears. I thought we were going to turn the plane around. This guy just killed us. And the next plane flight, he brings this like old oh, school yeah. briefcase. And uh, some of the guys would play cards and they, you know, play cards for some, some dough, you know, and he brings his briefcase <laughs> and it was like, uh, I don't know if it was like old from the seventies, like he just bought it off a of Craigslist, you know, and just so he can put some money in it and he, <laughs> he puts in the code, sits down at the, at the table, pops it open and he brings out this stack of cash and he goes, let's see how fast I can lose it, boys. And I swear <laughs> Within five minutes, he's in the back of the plane with an empty briefcase, dude, and just killing me, killing me. And nobody can figure out, well, like, what? Dude, this guy was a established veteran, great teammate, and wow. just to donate his the rest of his salary that year, you know, which isn't a little amount, you know, to charity just so he can get that chance to finish the career the way he wanted to go, dude. But he made my first year in a plane or in the bullpen pretty memorable, dude. And you guys were on a, a team plane, right? Or was that like a coach, like charter? Uh, charter plane. So, um, you know, you just get on the bus at the ballpark, go to the back of the airport, and there's this little gate. You walk through it. Nobody's patting you down unless you're going to Toronto. And um, you get on the plane, dude, and it's it's yours. It's just you, the team, um, some media, front office, and coaches, and uh, equipment guys, clubhouse guys, and that's it. That's all. It's on the plane. D-Ray, I think I cut you off a second ago. <laughs> um, no, nah, I think I was going to talk about another character, uh, uh, Dontrell Willis. I played with him separate times and with the Ducks in 13 and uh, with the Reds, uh, I think in 2011. But he was a guy who like never uh, stopped going. He never like really had a chill button. He just loud as can be, but I mean, you gravitate towards this guy because he's, he's just a character. He, he has that quality about him, but he would be really loud. Talk about, I think they talked, uh, Dontrell. I can't remember the other two in the conversation. Um, (laughs) PJ Phillips, they talked about if Tupac was a gangster for three straight days, it was like we were in the middle of the clubhouse yelling at each other, and sometimes even switching sides and arguing if he if Tupac was gangster. But it was all Dontrell just like coming up with different theories and like doing research, and he was just but he would do that, and people would gravitate towards him, and I hung around with him a lot. He was definitely a character, dude. He was right out of the get-go. When he came, everybody's like, oh, we just signed Dontrell, right? It was like a week before the season started. He showed up a week late, right? Um, 
I, I guess he had to work out that big contract for 2300 bucks a month. I don't know what it was. Um, but he came in, dude, and he it was like he knew everybody on the team, dude. He didn't shy away from anybody. Everyone he treated the same, you know. Um, but at that time, he was trying to figure some stuff out. He was coming off injuries and wasn't uh, pitching well. And he came there, and, dude, you could see that he he became a little – mentally challenged when it came to pitching but when he started figuring out there dude next level next level Dontrell it was unbelievable dude and then to see him in the clubhouse it was it was fun to see him in the cold tub him and Bill Hall he'd be full blown and Bill Hall would whisper and you and we just he was mumbles dude you don't even know what he's talking about he was he, when he talked, you were like, are you talking about one of your hitting videos that you're showing us in the back of the bus? Or are you talking about something that we need to hear? We don't know. Speak up. Speak up, dude. <laughs> Come on. Are you going to steal my beer right now or what? And Dontrell would just hit, go into deep. And Dontrell always knew what he was saying. I don't know how. They played together, I think, prior to that too. And, and these guys had some serious stories, you know, because, I mean, they've played in the big leagues for a long time. and They would go at it, and this guy – Nelson, Brian Nelson, is it Brian? That's right, Brian yeah, Nelly. Nelson. Then he would jump in and and he would stir the pot a little bit and get it going. And then it, I think Threets would throw something out from the woodworks wow. from across the room. And that guy, he was scary, dude. And um, oh, human. scary, Great. scary dude. And he was so cool you know and so polite he was laid back norcal guy and he would get those guys going and don trell was just non-stop dude it was, it was hilarious yeah there was a there was a pretty good feeding frenzy amongst that whole group just mentioned and don trell was at the head of it just well maybe not at the head but just the one that never stopped talking that year was interesting because there was a lot of guys in that team that never experienced pro ball a handful of them some of them that experienced pro ball for a little bit and then they got surrounded with quite a few guys that spent a lot of time in the big leagues and a lot of guys that were in baseball for a long time and you can see that they were uncomfortable a lot of the times because they didn't know the art or the the clubhouse situation on how dynamic it is and entertaining it is when you have these this many characters in the clubhouse, man, because it could be really, really fun or really, really intimidating. How about uh, how about you tell a story about how you and I a trick our manager Chris Widger? I'm trying to start the story so I can catch. On. I remember I signed the uh, autograph of Gabe Kaplan. All right, Bill. So what happened was someone got signed from the Camden River gotcha. Sharks when we all played yeah, together Dan Hannigan. in 2015. And, uh, Hannigan, yeah. And he got signed to the Dodgers. And at the time, uh, Gabe Kapler, longtime big leaguer, was uh, their you know, minor league director. So he was in charge of signing this guy. Well, I think he was signed injured. So that was uh, a it's big yeah, uh, that was an excuse, and this is that was the whole setup to what Murph and I was doing. And we were at that time collecting some baseball cards and kind of trading them away. And Gabe Kapler uh, had a card in this particular set, 
So Murph and I thought it would be hilarious if we sent uh, if we sent our manager Chris Widgard a, a baseball card in the mail signed by Gabe Kapler, Kapler saying something to the effect of like thanks for sending me uh, a, a dud or like so I don't they, know what did so it say. We were sitting around and and D Ray and I think one other guy I don't, I don't remember who it was but you know they have an interest in cards you know they uh, what's his name TJ. Was it TJ? TJ. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, of collecting baseball cards. And I was like, all right, well, I'll buy a couple, right? And we were talking, telling stories while we were playing, uh, I think, uh, Pluck, a card game. And I was telling them a story on how people used to write me letters and, and ask me to sign a card. Well, I was being a jerk quite a few times. And I would literally say – write back to them like little letters on the baseball card and i was telling the guys about it so i'd fill up like a whole baseball with all this backwards compliment stuff or write all my stats down on the ball or the card and just cover it up and there'd be a little tiny signature at the bottom so the card was destroyed and it would have this little makeshift signature on it you know and next thing you know we're opening these packages of cards and there's gabe kapler and this all just went down and the Dodgers were really upset about getting this guy, and he was a, a kid straight out of junior college, hardly ever played. But the, I guess that game that they were there, he had a good game, and he was fast, could play a little uh, infield, and they signed him to play shortstop in rookie ball, and he didn't even play shortstop with us. And Widge, being a good manager, was like, yeah, he could play short or whatever. I guess that game he went there, he couldn't even throw the ball to first base from shortstop and he ended up being hurt. So I was like, hey, here we go. Gabe Kapler card comes out. And I go, look, let's write a little note saying, hey, just want you to know that uh, really upset. And we, at the same time, we we're so happy that we did business with you guys. And you guys really, I think it was Kapler's, was the minor league coordinator and was like, I think you might've cost me my job and I can't believe you did this or whatever. And then we signed his baseball card and put, so you never forget me and mailed it. And uh, <laughs> it came in the mail is, is from the Dodgers game <laughs> Kaplan minor league coordinator and Widge got it and had this look on his face. Like, I think he called like three veteran guys over and was just telling us the story because we always got there really early, you know? And we were like, he came in like a ghost <laughs> to that clubhouse, and we were we knew exactly what was happening. We knew he finally got the card, and he we we tried to contain ourselves as best we could. But he was going over to a few people like, "Hey, hey, look at this! What 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 is this?" There was and we only were like, just there was only like four of waiting. us that knew about this because we didn't want everybody to. As soon as he walked in the door, start laughing. You know, we wanted this thing to play. This was the long the long scam, you know, the long joke. And it played out perfection, dude, because it really had him upset or that he was going around telling people, Hey, he didn't know. What to yeah. Say. He was like, dude, yeah, it's not my job for their scattering report department. I'm not going to say no to a player, dude. Can you believe this? And that, you know, I, I Murph, Murph, we, we had him, we had him about to call. Dude, Gabe I went Kaplan. online and practiced. <laughs> signing Kapler's signature, dude, <laughs> from the baseball card. It wasn't just I wrote Gabe Kapler. I put his signature down, dude. Like, 
it, 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 work, it was real dude. work. It was worth it. I mean, this is, me and D-Ray did all kinds of stuff like this when we were there, dude. We had a young team there, and we didn't have a really good yeah. clubhouse dynamic that year with the River Sharks. Matter of fact, it was probably the worst, one of the worst clubhouses I've ever been in. But we had a few guys that it was still fun to be there, you know. And um, we had to find ways to entertain ourselves. And that just which happened to be that guy for, I think, a week. <laughs> yeah, just pulling, pulling pranks on our manager was exactly <laughs> the thing that Murph and I was looking for. So was there a reveal? I can't remember. Yeah, we just told him, don't call him. We signed it. It's it's a joke. Because <laughs> he was like, I got to go. I was like, he's like, do you think I should call him? Murph was, I was like, yeah, you definitely should call him. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were finally like, no, don't don't let him call him. That's ridiculous. <laughs> he was he was sitting down playing cards with us at the time, and he was just had that look on his face, dude, like he couldn't believe it. And then we're like, dude, maybe you should just call him. <laughs> Yeah, you need to figure it yeah. out. And he's like, you know what? Screw it. And I think he brought Gleason over to play his cards. We're like, no, 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 you can't have Gleason do it. He's like, dude, I, I got a call. And they're like, oh, it's fake, dude. Don't call. We, we did it the whole time. Mm-hmm. He had that look on his face like, you assholes, you know? And he's an old yeah. veteran, savvy guy, played a lot of time in the big leagues, and he took it well. Yeah. They entertained he's us. A great I'll tell you that. I liked him a lot. All right. Last, uh, as, as we wrap up, last, last call. Got one story left. What do we? What do you each got? PG story. Uh, Unfortunately, you have one. Yeah. <sighs> PGs are tough, man. Especially with. Well, I got. I got really one. Uh, so 2009 with the Reds. Uh, it was kind of the inaugural times they did the um, uh, civil rights game. So we'd like uh, you know throwback jerseys and they had some like celebrities come on the field. They had like Muhammad Ali there. Um, and Willie Mays was there and I desperately wanted to meet Willie Mays as every uh, baseball player should. And right after batting practice, just kind of waiting for him. He was in Dusty Baker's office uh, and they said, you can go in there in a little while. So I'm scrounging up things for him to sign. Um, and, you know, thoroughly excited. So I go in, kind of wait my turn. Uh, Dusty Baker is standing right next to him. And I'm patiently waiting. Nick Massett is in front of me uh, getting everything signed. Uh, I just had a baseball for the man. Uh, walk up to Willie. He's in a chair. He has very poor vision. I didn't know any of this. Um, I extend my hand to shake his dusty grabs his hand and puts it on top of my head and (laughs) standing there with my arm waiting to be shook and him Willie Mays literally patting my head like five or six times and Dusty's like Dusty's giggling he thinks it's hilarious and he, Willie said, like, you're not too big, are you? And I was like, no, but I got a jersey. <laughs> uh, so just briefly talked with him, and he's like, oh, so uh, so what do you throw? And I was like, I got a lot. He, oh, yeah, he said, uh, you, you're not too big, so what do you throw? And I said, I got a screwball is my main thing, and I got, you know, a slurve. I got a sinker. I got a cutter. I got, I got a lot of things. He goes, son, I would have only needed one. <laughs> 
So I, <laughs> at the age of like 78, Willie Mays was talking shit, telling me he would take me deep. Did you have great hair then? Uh, no, I was bald. I did not grow the hair at that point. Too shocked. God, if you had the hair then, he would have put you at least two, three inches taller. He would have been petting my hair too. It would have been amazing. What if he started brushing it? <laughs> that would have made your life. That would have been a great braid. Murph? I mean, I'm trying to think, man. It's just so, it's such a, so many stories of like, I mean, I can give you some stories about, let's go with, uh, we had a bullpen catcher in Arizona, called him twos. And I think they might've done like a little 20, 20 or 60 minutes on him or real sports or something about, he would do anything for money. And he just wouldn't say no to anything. So spring training was a big quality payday for him. I don't know if yeah, it was Levon Hernandez loved writing checks to people to get some entertainment, and um, it was the milk challenge. And everyone that's tried it—I mean, like four or five guys tried it prior to twos, and they would—they wouldn't even come close. So twos is as a problem, he has no like gag reflex or he doesn't, he doesn't puke. He just doesn't do it. And he's like, Oh, I'll do it. But it has to be worth my time. And I think it ended up being around $6,000. And, uh, twos prepares by going to GNC and taking some enzymes that break down like all the proteins and milk. So he wouldn't feel sick. Right. And, uh, I think the challenge is in 10 minutes, you have to drink a gallon of full milk or whole milk and, Within a minute and a half, twos gets it down to maybe a cup left, right? He just chugged it, just pounded it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this guy's going to do it, right? Get that check ready. And he waits around. He's toying around, and everybody's laughing at him. He's like, I got it. And everybody's like, well, we know you got it. Can you please finish it? So he finishes it, right? Nothing. Everybody's like waiting for him. He had to keep it down for an hour. Nothing. The guy did it. Levon writes him a check. For, I think Levon's portion of it was like 3600 bucks. We didn't see twos for two and a half days after that. He was <laughs> bedridden. Didn't throw up, but his stomach rejected it. His enzyme bill said he planned out and didn't work. And the worst part about it is nobody knew it. Like three and a half months later or something, Tooze was telling the story in the bullpen. He goes, the check bounced. <laughs> the check bounced. Levon had a checkbook that he didn't even have. Like that bank account wasn't even active for like for like three years. <laughs> the guy was dead for three days and got a bounce check. It was hilarious. Yeah, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> on Levon's behalf, I guess, Tooze finally brought it up to him. You know that three and a half months later, and Levon just just gave him thirty six hundred bucks in cash, but had it was on his deathbed for three days, and then realized three and a half months later, he finally should probably tell somebody he got jipped out of the money. Uh, Levon was crazy. Awesome. He offered me to take his Lamborghini from Tucson to Phoenix for to go visit my wife on her birthday, and um, I was scared to death, dude. It was like a four hundred fifty thousand dollar car, and I was like, I can't do it, man. And he, he was like almost like begging me to take it. And I just couldn't do it, man. But that guy, he did not he did not care, bro. Great teammate. Great teammate. Oh, amazing that's, teammate. That's the thing 
go, Mark. We spend I I've played for ten years. You played for how many? Fourteen. Yeah, so we have just these stories. I think more or less when you just get us going and one thing reminds us of another, you know, in the bullpen or in the clubhouse. I have you seen any good uh clubhouse blow ups? No. Like those are some of my favorite to witness too. I've seen a lot of them. I saw Todd Coffee destroy the clubhouse in Louisville and then got called up to the big leagues the same night. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, that's the thing is blowups happen all the time. And it's usually either aggro starting pitcher or a position player, and they'll come destroy some stuff. I'm talking you'll come in the dugout you after the game when it's a pitcher. I remember one time we come back from starting pitcher. I don't think he got out of the first inning. And, um, you know, you're pretty far away from the dugout from the clubhouse, so you don't hear anything. And periodically you'll see a guy come out and he's laughing, right? And then at the end of the game you come in and this particular pitcher decided that he was just not going to take it. And I think he destroyed like six lockers, broke a couple TVs, um, definitely tables were flipped. It looked like he took a knife to all the couches, and <laughs> nobody said anything. Nobody said a word, dude. And he was like, "I, I got, I got to clean it up." Next day, dude, it was like nothing happened. They, it, they had it cleaned up. Nobody said anything, and everything was back to normal. Like they brought in like a, one of those remodel house people to remodel the clubhouse the next day. And it was just like a film set. You just place the the broken things. That's it. Re- replace them, and we move on. And nobody talks about it. And guess what? That's an experience that you get to see and nobody knows about. And that's – I mean, we had a guy in uh, Long Island. They were on a spree for, I think, three weeks where they damaged their hotel room, dude. Yeah. And finally, they had to find ways to scrap up money to pay for these hotel rooms, dude. It was hilarious. I think they broke the toilet bowl. I think one time they – might have pulled a smoke alarm or something. I don't know what it was, but it was like three days and three weeks in a row where they destroyed the hotel room. Yeah, you would think not. They didn't do it again, did they? And then their porcelain toilet is completely in half. <laughs> God, dude. And the great thing was is that the reason we found out is because they both, I guess, they were wrestling. They were part of Team Blackout, and uh, one of them had body slammed the other one in the toilet. And one woke up in the bathtub, one woke up next to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> they both got counted out. They both went night-night and didn't remember a thing. But yeah, Dan, that's like you put all these years – and I know you played a long time too, and you have stories. I mean, not in the settings uh, that we did, and but the stories just compile and you forget about things until – you know, something gets mentioned, you're like, oh, I forgot about Yeah, that. I figured we'd get down the rabbit hole at some point. We got a little bit of a slow start, but really, you guys really picked it up here at the end. This was great. It's weird, dude, because, you know, you don't get to talk about this every day. So you forget about this stuff. And like D-Ray's saying, man, once you get in that rabbit hole and start remembering stuff, dude, because, I mean, who, I mean, I have my wife. She's, she's experienced a lot of stories with me. And we were just talking about one the other day, her and I, because she's Latin. She doesn't look Latin at all. She's Colombian, Costa Rican. And how people, and she's in the stands, are just talk trash all the time in Spanish about her. 
And then at the end of the game, she would she would wait, dude. She would play him the whole time, and then start speaking to him in Spanish. And she said, "I'd never see those girls again." It was it's hilarious, dude. <laughs> Just hearing and telling stories, dude. It's it's fun. Well, guys. Uh, anyway, for my listeners to follow up on you, I know D-Ray, you're on social media. Uh, Instagram. I'm doing a lot of illustration and uh, doing some tattooing at the Daniel Ray. Murphy, join Instagram so you can look at my tattoos and get one. This is the thing, man. I, I just don't – well, first of all, I don't have to join Instagram uh, to follow up with you, Mr. Blackbird, okay? Um, I don't have anything that I can provide for these networks, you know? Like I don't want to post out pictures of some random pug's butthole, you know what I'm saying, like Mr. Bragg does. <laughs> um, I, I got you. I'll read you. And I go, I go down like the Twitter hole, and the stuff just doesn't entertain me, man. There's nothing I can provide for it. And if I get locked into it, I mean, if I even get into YouTube, dude, I go down the rabbit hole. My wife has to knock me out of it, dude. Well, you've got. So your, if you guys yeah, want to understand, follow me, I mean, you can follow me at Dan Blewett's podcast because that's where I'll be. <laughs> I mean, the world loves cat photos, you know. If you keep getting on my cat, dude, I'm a bunch. <laughs> okay, so you can follow D Ray at the Daniel Ray on Instagram. And Murph, he's just gonna disappear into the ether again. So <laughs> no way to follow up on him. But hey guys, thanks for coming Look, on. It's good good chat with you again. Check out my Twitter page. You don't have Twitter. No, I do. I just don't use it. Well then uh, no, they're not gonna check it out. Your Twitter your Twitter's useless. Well, Okay, Google me. Okay, Google Bill Murphy. That's right. You, you can experience his beard. He's on. He's on that with social media. Oh no, that's my COD call name. Sorry. <laughs> so I said I had a good time with both of you on this telling these stories. We all played together, so nice to rehash some of them and, and laugh. Yeah, your glory days. Yeah, thanks for coming on, D Ray Murph. Appreciate you. Appreciate you having us, man. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right, so. Thank you. This was episode 40 of Dear Baseball Gods. And feel free to leave me a review on iTunes if you feel so compelled. And be sure to check us out on Twitter at Coach Dan Blewett and on Instagram and Facebook by the same hashtag. See you next week.